Aren't we blessed with a great group of young musicians and offering their talents to the Lord? Uh, and many of them are serving in other places as well, and uh, up in the balcony and with our children's church. There, uh, I could not be prouder of this uh, group of young people that. Uh, and I, I just, as your youth pastor, I just want to take a second to say thank you to you because that's more a reflection on you as parents and you as a church, loving kids, uh, caring for teenagers, uh, showing them a relationship with Jesus. That's more a reflection upon you than it is upon me. I get, I get brief little stops along the way to interact with them. But how we live together as a church and how you uh, model a relationship with Jesus before them is of, is of greater importance than anything else that happens. So thank you uh, for loving them. Thank you, for, those of you, if you don't directly have a teenager uh, in your life, thank you for praying, thank you for giving and supporting uh, our teens and our children. Uh, I've been a part of churches that longed for and begged for the clamor of little feet and for the noise and unruliness of teenagers, they longed for it and prayed for the day when they might see it again or see it at all. Let's not discount the great, great privilege we have of, of not only being a part of a church, but seeing God raise up another generation among us. Amen? Praise His name. Well, take your Bibles and turn with me to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. I want to again express my uh, gratitude to, to Pastor BJ for uh, giving me the privilege of, of sharing God's Word with you this morning. And we've begun a series talking about uh, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, and what, uh, what God wants to do in our lives. And Pentecost Sunday this year falls on May the 23rd, uh, and I hope I'm not stealing Pastor BJ's thunder too much uh, preaching on Pentecost, but that's just where I felt led to, uh, to go this week. Uh, with, with this question as a, uh, ho hopefully just an overarching guide for us this morning, have you experienced a personal Pentecost? Most of you, I would Feel, feel safe to say, have, have an awareness of Pentecost, of what it means. If you don't, let me take just a moment and, and explain to you or those watching online. When we say Pentecost, we're referring to an event that occurred in Scripture for the early followers of Jesus. Uh, and we're going we're gonna to look at it uh, in God's Word. We believe as Christians that the Holy Spirit is sent for the purpose of empowering His disciples. Not only giving us power, but power with a purpose. Uh, you know, it's uh, those of you who are around large machinery, you know that you can have a great big machine. But if you, if you don't have somebody that knows how to use it, you've just got a lot of power that's not going to get a lot accomplished. You can misuse it. You can abuse it. You can not get a whole lot accomplished at all, even though you've got all the horsepower in the world. 
And the Holy Spirit is much like that. It's, it's available, it's given, it's provided for. But if we don't know how to use it, if we don't have a purpose behind it, then we're, we're going to be wasting our time because God didn't just simply pour out His Holy Spirit so that we could say, I've been filled with the Holy Spirit. So that we as good Nazarenes could say, yes, I've checked box one and box two. I've, I've experienced a, a, an initial definite work of grace in, in Jesus saving my soul and in confessing my sins and becoming a Christian. And I've experienced a second definite work of grace, either in that same moment or shortly thereafter or somewhere down the road whenever it may have occurred for you. God does not waste anything. I try to remind our teens from time to time, God, God has not wasted your life. You have a purpose and a plan. Every one of you, if you haven't thought about it lately, be reminded this morning, once upon a time... God looked out over the face of the whole world and in His infinite wisdom said, we need one of you. There's never been one of you before. There will never be one quite like you after. But the world needs one of you. God decided that. I, maybe that's not very profound to you all, but it really is to me. That, that God in His infinite wisdom said, on May the 24th, 1979, the world needs Greg McLean. I'm going to bring Greg McLean. And, and, even, and he, I got my start even before that, right? Long before that. About 10 months before that. And while this is not a, a, a message on pro-life, all I know is this when it comes to that issue. I am so glad I was not aborted. I'm not trying to be too political. I'm just telling you, I am so thankful that when I couldn't do anything about it, other people said, we choose life. That, mean, that means everything to me. That's right. It's a biblical, yeah, it's a moral and biblical issue. Amen. So we are given this, this journey to go on. We're given this life. And you get to choose. God has ordained it that you and I get to choose. What will we do with our life? And when it comes to being filled with the Holy Spirit, we are given a call to be filled. To, we are given an invitation. And it's good news. If you look at Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus said this, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come up on you. And, so that's, that's a promise, you shall receive power. So there's the power, there's the, there's the force, but it's with a purpose. You shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. What is the role of the Holy Spirit in our life? That it, 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 it empowers us to be his witnesses in the world. Jesus came with a purpose to be a sacrifice for you and for me. And he sent the Holy Spirit so that you and I, everyone who would believe upon his name and follow him, would be empowered primarily for the purpose of sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ to the whole world. And now I'm grateful that there are other works of the Spirit, there are, there are other gifts of the Spirit and we need those, and they have a place, and they are God-ordained. And we need to be using them. And some of us 
have those gifts and, and God has poured those out upon us, we just need to be putting them into practice. We need to, by faith, be trusting Him for it. But, but primarily, Jesus said, you will be empowered. You'll be filled with the Holy Spirit. You'll receive power. And primarily, the reason so, is so that you can be my witnesses. They'll know it by the boldness in which you preach and proclaim the gospel. They'll, they'll know it by its validation through the, the acts of the Spirit at work in your life, the power that is displayed, it will all work together to share the gospel, to get the good news out to the whole world so that none should be lost. I am so thankful for the work of the Spirit in my life, and I'm thankful for the ways that He empowers us in, in so many ways. But I must never lose this Focus. It all comes back to being a faithful witness of the gospel of Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world. It saved my soul because someone else was filled with the Spirit and shared the gospel with me. They were bold enough to tell me the truth. They were bold enough to declare what the Word of God said. They were bold enough to believe it and to live in it and to model it for me. And I am called to do the same through the power of the Holy Spirit, to be a witness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the mission He has given to us. If there should be one guiding principle for us in the life of this church or any church, it ought to be how does this further the mission of sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ? How do we tie this back into saying, we're doing this because this helps us to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, to live it out ourselves and to proclaim it to a lost and dying world. Before he ascended into heaven, Jesus instructed the disciples to go into Jerusalem and wait for the promise, the gift the Father would give to them. They had already been walking with the Lord for three years. They had said yes to him. They had walked away from, from life as they had known it. And now they were being called upon by their Savior, their Lord, their Master, the one they had followed. They were being called upon by Him to put on the brakes and wait and be filled with the Holy Spirit. They didn't really know what to expect. The one thing they had going for them was they had finally learned how to be obedient. They had finally learned how to say, we need to do what He's told us to do. Not understand it, not have it all figured out, not have it all perfectly programmed and detailed and delineated and charted and graphed. We just need to be obedient to what we know He's told us to do. And that brings us to Acts chapter 2. A very familiar passage to many of us. Would you stand with me this morning for the reading of God's Word? Acts chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. 
And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. Then, there, then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all these who speak Galileans? And how is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia and Egypt. Go ahead. And the parts of Libya adjoining Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. So they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, Whatever could this mean? Others mocking said, They're full of the new wine. Father, this passage reminds us of so many things and teaches us so many things. It points to a particular event in history that would forever change the world. It also reminds us that some will understand, some will be confused, some will blame it on everything but you. Help us this morning to receive the truth Guided by your Holy Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Just about every passage in the Bible has bad news and good news. Just about every passage of any length in Scripture, you can find some bad news and you can find some good news. The bad news in, in the passage of Scripture we've looked at this morning is that the disciples of Jesus, these 120, uh, not far from the number we are here today. So you could just kind of picture if this were the upper room. Now, I've seen pictures of the upper room at Mark's, John Mark's house. Some of you may have even traveled to the Holy Land and been there. It is not this big a room. Even, even the, the two different locations, they suspect uh, one of them certainly was that room. Either one of them are not half the size of this room. So 120 people crammed into that upper room. They were waiting for the gift that Jesus had promised. After all that had happened, try to go back to it in your mind. We've walked through it leading up to Easter, but try to go back to it in your mind. After everything that had taken place, the, the crucifixion, the trial, the beating, the, 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 the capture in the garden, everything that had led up to the empty tomb. Can you imagine how they, how they must have felt? They had seen the resurrected Lord. They had watched Him ascend into heaven. They, they had some idea about what He had said, this is what's coming next, but they weren't sure. They were beginning to put the pieces together, but they still didn't have it all quite sorted out. The disciples, you remember them, right? At best, we could call them a, a ragtag group. They were mostly from Galilee, mostly fishermen. We would uh, kindly refer to them as just ordinary men. 
They, almost none of them had any kind of pedigree or, or family lineage or history that would cause them to stand out and say, now that's a good candidate for a disciple. But there they were. You, uh, you remember that uh, they went into the city, they waited, and they prayed, and they prayed, and they waited, and they waited, and they prayed, and they prayed, and they waited. Best guess, at least 10 days went by where they apparently just put everything on hold and said, all we know is that he told us to go wait and pray. We don't have any other orders from the one who we have watched die and rise again and ascend up into heaven. The only, th- only orders we have are go into Jerusalem and wait. Isn't that exciting? Don't you love that when that's, when that's what you're told is the, is the next? Here's, I mean, I, I've, and I've been on both sides of it. I've been the one receiving it. And as a chaplain, too many times I've been the one telling it. You just need to wait. And you know, that brings so much comfort and help. And pe- you, just, you just love it. That's exactly what you want to hear. Just do nothing and just wait. You know, what I've also learned is that it, it actually is the best thing you can do most times. I'll never forget when uh, uh, seven years ago, when uh, Leah had her first seizure, we went to uh, the hospital real close, about like from here to Illini, and uh, to the emergency room. And for an agonizing hour and a half, it was just me and her sitting in a room, I didn't have a clue what was going on, didn't know what, how things were going to unfold, and, and I, we practically didn't see anybody. And you know how the clock slows down when you're waiting. I mean, a second is an agonizing tick, tick, tick. I mean, it just... And in the grand scheme of things, it wasn't that long, but it was an eternity. And finally, being the patient person that I am, I had had enough. I just knew, I just knew we were totally forgotten. Kicked off into some side room, shut the door, forget about us. You know, it's just your everyday emergency, no big deal. I was sure they weren't doing anything. I was sure they didn't care. I was sure that this didn't matter to them the way it was supposed to. And finally, I found a doctor, and I tried my best to help him understand what he obviously didn't understand, that we should be the single most important thing on the planet. He just didn't get that, obviously. I began to try to help him understand how troubled I was that I had come here with the understanding that if I brought my emergency need into this place, I would get emergency help and it would come quickly. And then he gave me a bit of wisdom that I've never forgotten that has helped me day in, day out, ever since. He said, sir, I want you to know we absolutely care about you and your daughter. But we don't know for sure what we're dealing with yet and until we do the best thing we can do is wait rather than do the wrong thing 
just trying to do something for you. You ever been guilty of doing the wrong thing just because you, you, you felt like you got to do something? And you wished you could rewind the tape? Say, man. The disciples were waiting. They had been instructed to wait. Just wait. Could they see it? Could they understand? Did they have a way to put it into, into their mind and into their reference that this is the best thing we can do? This is exactly what we're supposed to Jesus wouldn't have said to do this if this wasn't exactly what we were supposed to do. Wait. We have some idea of who was in the room. We certainly don't know all 120 of them. But we have an idea that there were at least a few of these individuals. We know that Simon Peter was there. You remember him? He was the one that was renamed the Rock, but yet he had melted under pressure like a bowl of ice cream on the 4th of July. Just. And if you looked over to another part of the room, you might have saw Thomas. You remember his story? He's the one that was doubting. He could not believe Jesus was present unless he actually touched him. Till I see those scars, those wounds in his hands, until I feel that place where the spear went into his side, I won't believe. Maybe if we scan the room, we might have picked out Nicodemus in the crowd, a newcomer. A Pharisee. You remember he was the one that had come to Jesus in the cover of night. And he was asking him, how do I get saved? What must I do? And we get that wonderful passage in John chapter 3 verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Nicodemus had been on the other side of things until Jesus appeared before the court that he was on and he watched as that court sanctioned Jesus to death when he had done nothing wrong. Nicodemus couldn't take it anymore. You know, there are righteous points in life when we have to stand up against injustice. We're called to it. We cannot be a people that just simply say, whatever case sera, sera. We have to know where the line in the sand is for us, where we will, as individuals, say, enough. I can't go any further. Maybe we, we could echo with Martin Luther of old when he was brought before the councils, before the Catholic Church at the time, and said, here I stand. I can't do anything else. I can do no other. This is the place. You're not backing me up anymore. I know what I believe, and we've crossed a line. Nicodemus was there. He had switched sides. He had joined this group of 120. Mary Magdalene was most likely in the room. You remember her? The woman with the sordid, horrible reputation. Everybody knew about Mary. Even before she would arrive, they knew. Oh, we know Mary, right? We know her story. They don't, nobody has to tell us. She's got that reputation. Lazarus was most likely there. We can be reasonably sure that if you're the guy that Jesus raised from the dead, you're probably going to be a pretty faithful follower after that. Close friend of Jesus even before that, so he's got 
as much reason as anybody to say, I'm on board with you, Jesus, to the very end. You've already pulled me out of the clutches of death once. I'm not going back. I'm going to follow you. Whatever you say, that's what I'm going to do. Matthew, the tax collector turned disciple. Wondering if the group would still accept him now that Jesus was gone. Or, or, or was Jesus the only reason they had allowed him to stay in the group? Because he was the only one who would really see worth or value. Because Matthew had held as hated a job as anybody. Was Jesus the only real reason why anybody put up with him? There he was. There they all were. 120 gathered in that upper room. Stopped in their tracks by the death and the resurrection of Jesus, the ascension of Jesus. It had all come down to that moment. And there they were, 120 people gathered in that upper room. There's not just bad news in the text. There's bad news in our world as well. Life brings moments to us like that. Can you think of a moment recently that has just stopped you in your tracks? Didn't matter what you had scheduled for that day, what you had wrote on the calendar, what you were planning, what the events were, the occasions. When it happened, everything just stopped. And, and maybe you almost wondered, is this, not, is this going to be what just takes the life right out of me? I don't, how, how, do I, how do I go from here to there? Can you relate to the disciples at all? Because that's where they were. They were gathered in that upper room, all 120 of them, waiting and praying and waiting and praying and waiting and praying, wondering what comes next. We're not too, too much different from those that were in that upper room. You look around at us. I'm not asking you to be someone else's judge. But we do know each other. We know a little bit about one another. We've been, a lot of us in this room have been doing life together as a body of believers for quite a long time. At the very least, we've lived in a small community for a long time. And you know how that works, don't you? Or we're family. Or we're, we've, we've taken some steps together here recently. And, and we're beginning to know each other. Here's something that's true. We all come before God with baggage. We all come before Him with our history, praying here this morning that God will show up. That, that He'll give us enough hope to carry on for one more day, one more week. Lord, here I am again. I'm, I'm mesmerized. As a pastor, it, it, it amazes me. And I've, I've almost been in full-time ministry as long as I was uh, not and I was sat in those pews and listened to the preacher year after year after year. I'm amazed at this process we have of gathering in to this room to hear the word of God, to worship together. And I'm so thankful that we're committed to it and we believe in it. And we can look back through the years and say there were moments along the way where, where, where that experience helped me to nail some things down. In my relationship with the world. There were moments when life had just, just waylaid me. And, and my family was there. My brothers and sisters in Christ. I don't know how I got through those moments. 
I don't know what I would have done or where I would have turned. But thanks be to God. He gave me a family. And we're all, we're all here. There's, there's probably a Simon Peter somewhere among us. Strong on talk but weak on performance. You'll invite everybody in the world but then it's unlikely you'll show up. Maybe there's a Thomas in the room somewhere. You're not going to believe anything if you can't see it, if you can't touch it. Don't call on you to believe something purely by faith. You got to have proof. I got to see it. Miracles? Well, that's pretty sketchy. I think one of the saddest things I've ever seen in the world is, is somebody who reaches, well, let's call it the latter half of the normal years of life. And they almost confront every different idea or plan in their life with, I've lived long enough to know. You know, if you really stop to think about it, that's a sad place to be in a lot of ways for a lot of reasons. Now, there are some things, thanks be to God, you've lived long enough to know. But there are some other things that I've lived long enough to know has parked you in a place and you're not going anywhere or doing anything for you or anyone else, let alone for God. Maybe there's a Nicodemus somewhere in the room. Those of us who have grown up on religion only to find that there was something missing, the form, the, the just going through the motions, the just week after week, it just, it just wasn't cutting it. Not when, not when life got tough, not when you needed something more than just a, a once-a-week experience. You're secretly searching. Surely there's more to this. Surely it means more. Surely there's something deeper to all of this. As a teenager, I absolutely lived there. Oh God, surely there's something more than just this week after week after week. Surely. And thanks be to God, I found out there really was. And I've been enjoying the experience ever since. Maybe there's a Mary Magdalene out there, a man or a woman who lives, whose life has been wrecked by lust, promiscuity. You've, maybe it's caused a bitter divorce. Maybe it's... it's Divided the family. Maybe it's wrecked the job and cost you so much. It's, it's been the very epitome of sin that took you further than you wanted to go and kept you longer than you wanted to stay and cost you more than you were ever willing to pay. Mary Magdalene could identify with that. Maybe Mary's in the room this morning. Probably even a Lazarus or two. Oh, you might not have actually been dead on the, t on the slab. Maybe. I've known a few. I mean, it was for a long time. And by the grace of God, amazing. But if not, you've, you've certainly been dead in some other ways. Wondering if that was the last breath. How do I go on? How do I keep moving forward? How do I, how do I press on people whose lives you can look back now and say, my, my very life has been spared by the hand of Jesus. 
I can think of a number of times, even let's call them close calls. They're really not. But we can think of them like that. The times when one more inch or one more second or, or one less this, that, or the other could have made all the difference in the world. And for reasons you may never fully understand this side of heaven, you were spared. I'll never forget a young lady driving a Dodge pickup truck on her phone. Sarah and I were sitting at a, at a, a driveway from a, a nursing home getting ready to pull out. We looked down. Here she came, two cars in front of her and an 18-wheeler coming the opposite direction on a two-lane road. She has no idea what's going on in front of her because this is in front of her. When she does pull this down, these two cars have stopped so that one of them can turn in and she's right on the back bumper of that car right in front of her. She slams on the brakes and for reasons I will never understand at the last second, she does this. And when she does, it pulls her, you guessed it, right into the path of that 18-wheeler. And to our utter horror, we watched helplessly as that 18-wheeler just slammed right into the front end of that truck. Spun that truck around two or three times. Somehow it stayed on its wheels and it came to rest half on the road, half off. And I remember in that, in that millisecond of all that taking place, looking back over at Sarah and saying, Call 911. But whoever's in that truck is probably dead. It was just a horrific crash, as bad as I've ever seen. I got out of the vehicle, ran over to the truck. To my amazement, when I got about 20 feet from the vehicle, I could hear screaming. So I at least knew somebody's alive. That's good. I've learned that too through chaplaincy work. If you're in emergency medicine... You love hearing somebody scream in a, in a sense because that means you've got breath. There's life. That's, that, that's actually a good thing. Moms with little kids, take it for what it's worth. At least if that kid's screaming, they're breathing. You know? Not all bad. I ran over to her. Couldn't get her out of the driver's side. Everything was all mangled up. I went around to the passenger side opened the door, she was coming out of there like a wildcat. I mean, she was just, I, didn't know, I wasn't expecting it. She had, she had went up over the airbag, her head had hit the windshield. And she was climbing out of the vehicle. I got her out, tried to get her calmed down, set her down on the side of the road. Long story short, she eventually wound up at uh, the hospital in Columbia, Missouri, University of Missouri Hospital. I went up there to see her the very next day. Got there at 9.30, they were getting ready to discharge her. The only thing that had happened to her was she had cut her head right there. A couple, couple of butterfly stitches. She was... And so I just looked at her and I said, you need to figure out why you've been spared. You need to go from this place and do whatever it takes to try to understand why did you live there when that should have been a one-way ticket out of here? God has a plan and a purpose for your life. Don't waste it. Maybe you're a Lazarus. That split second, that moment, and you can look back on it and maybe it even gives you chills when you think how close I came. But I'm here today. Others didn't get that chance. 
We probably got a Matthew or two in the room too. Those of us who would be outcasts were it not for Jesus and his grace and his mercy. You would, the world would have kicked you to the corner a long time ago and said you're damaged goods. You've been down too many dark roads. You've done too many wrong things. There's no place for you. And sadly, it may have actually been at the hands of the church. One of the saddest commentaries in all the world is that far too many churches have done a better job at shooting their wounded than they have at walking with them and helping them to heal. Helping them to say, if the, if the gospel doesn't come to you, then it doesn't come to any of us. If the saving, amazing grace of Jesus Christ isn't available to you, it's not available to any of us. Let's get it right, folks. Let's get it right. Well, ready for some good news? I sure am. <laughs> We've went down pretty low. Pentecost comes. If it was two days or ten, it doesn't matter. It came and the Spirit descends upon them. These fearful disciples, they are turned in a moment from a, a group of, of ragtag people who don't know what the next day is going to look like into a powerful force to proclaim salvation and hope through Jesus Christ. And in short order, they changed the entire world. Amen? Could it happen again? Absolutely. Absolutely. The story of Pentecost Sunday should mean as much to the followers of Jesus as Christmas, Good Friday, Easter, why? Because without the infilling of the Holy Spirit, the way Jesus would have, died, would have died with those 120 people, if we don't have the Holy Spirit filling our hearts and lives, we can't do one thing. The message of Jesus would have died with those 120 people. When they left, that would have been the end of it. We would never be sitting here today proclaiming the goodness and the grace of Jesus Christ were it not for what the Holy Spirit did in their lives. Early on the day of Pentecost, before 9 o'clock in the morning, those 120 disciples who were there together in the upper room watching and waiting and praying, when the sound of a mighty rushing wind filled the room, the fire of God fell upon them. It filled the room and then it separated into little pieces that looked like cloven tongues of fire above their heads and onto each person there. Every per Can you even imagine with me for a moment what it would have been like to be in that room? Oh, if I could do anything in this whole world, I'd love to go back and be in that upper room at Pentecost. God didn't just simply say, well, maybe I can get one or two to come to the altar and we can somehow pray with them long enough and hard enough and maybe they'll get filled with the Spirit. He fell on that whole place and every person in it and shook that whole room with His power. Do we even believe it can happen again? Absolutely. Absolutely. He can do it again. All he's looking for is hearts willing to say, we'll wait. We'll be obedient. We'll press in. We'll long for him. We'll seek him. And we won't be satisfied until we know that God has poured out his spirit upon us. 
I'm so thankful. Long ago, I had a pastor, when I, when I went to him and said, I've heard about this sanctification business, this being filled with the Spirit, this being having purpose in your life and, and, and called by God and having His anointing on your life and having power in your life. I've heard about that from day one of coming to this church. What is it? I want it. How do I get it? And he said, you're on the right track. Just hang on. You're on the right track. What? I don't even know what I'm talking about. What do you mean I'm on the right track? Here's what he was helping, trying to help me see. You're hungering. You're thirsty. You're longing for it. And God will fill that hunger and that thirst. You want it. You seek after it. You'll find it. It's not my promise. It's his. Amen? That's good news. That's good news to everyone who will receive it. Peter reached back into his memory and explained what was happening from the prophet Joel. If you look there in chapter 2 at verse 17, you'll find these words of Peter. He says, and it shall come to pass in the last days. He's, he's, the fire has fallen. He's gotten up and he's, he's preaching to the crowd. He says, it shall come to pass in the last days says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my maidservants and men servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Peter is on fire. With the gospel of Jesus Christ. He doesn't preach about anything else other than it's all about this. When this happens, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Oh, there's other things there. There's lots of demonstrations of the power of the Spirit and things that will accompany it and things that will happen. But Peter brings it all the way back and says, it's all about this. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I love the miracles of God. I love to see how he shows off and demonstrates his power at work in our lives through all of the gifts of the Spirit. But you'll never show me a greater miracle this side of heaven than the person who has had their life, their life transformed. The person who was down and destitute and broken and sure that they would never amount to anything and God got a hold of them and they believed in him with all their heart and he changed them. He redeemed them. He did a work in their life far greater than they could even explain or contain. And they've been living in the joy of it ever since. Friends, we've got to get it back. We've got to recover the wonder and the amazement of seeing God transform lives. You want a program in a church that will turn a town upside down and turn a county upside down, turn a family around? You let one, one person Get filled with the Spirit and transformed by the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that is the heart of revival. Peter tells this story. He goes back and recounts some of the wonders that God has done. Jesus 
feeding the 5,000. He recounts how Jesus rode into Jerusalem on the back of a, of a donkey. He, he, he gets to the part about the crucifixion and, and he starts pointing a finger at the Jews and saying, you killed him. God's purpose was not completed just in the cross. and That on the third day Jesus rose from the dead overcoming the power of sin and death for it was impossible for sin and death to keep him down. Praise the Lord. The crowd stayed with Peter. Like some of you are needing to stay with me right now. We're getting there. I'm about to land this plane. You may not believe it, but it's getting ready to happen and you don't want to miss it. They stayed with him until the end. And Peter summarized it all. Look at verse 36 of chapter 2. He says, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. That's what he has done, and that's who he is. He, he warns them to abandon their fruitless ways. Some of us just need to hear it again this morning. You're, you're striving after things that even if you get them, it's not going to give you what you're looking for. You're still going to be thirsty. You're still going to be hungry. You're still going to be longing and unfilled. You need Jesus Christ and Him alone. Nothing else can satisfy. And when you have a relationship with Him, you don't need anything else. You'll never hunger again. You'll never thirst again. He will be all in all to you. Well... We want the Holy Spirit to move among us. I believe that. We're watching and waiting for the Holy Spirit to do a new and a fresh work in our lives and the life of the church. Or at least we ought to be. How committed are you to waiting upon Him? How committed are you to saying, Lord, nothing else matters but this. Obedience to you and being filled with your Holy Spirit. Knowing about the gifts and understanding them is great, but they have no power and they're not activated in my life until I am filled with your Spirit and I'm walking in a relationship with you. This morning, God wants to restore and empower His disciples. It's a day for Peter to be restored after betraying Jesus so that he begins to tell others the good news of Jesus. This is the day that a Mary Magdalene is set free from the grip of lust and promiscuity and begins to tell others about their new freedom because she found it. She wants them to know. It's a day for a Nicodemus to be set free from the grip of legalism and religion and begin to share the grace of Jesus Christ. It's a day for a Matthew to receive Jesus and recognize that he is no longer an outcast, and begin to share the love of God. Our musicians are going to come back and join me real quick. There may even be a doubting Thomas or two among us. It's a day for those Thomases to believe. To say, Lord, I do believe, but help my unbelief. You see, here's what I know. When the Holy Spirit moves in, Bashful, fearful people become the instruments of proclamation. And they give testimony to the life-giving relationship 
with Jesus Christ. That's the most important thing that happens. If, if, you're, if you're endowed with another gift of the Spirit, wonderful. Praise God. Use it. Glorify Him. Honor Him with it. Let the whole world know it to His glory and to His honor. But don't miss the all-important thing. Share the gospel of Jesus Christ with someone else. That's the gift that every one of us have. Every one of us have been called to it. But my friends, here's another simple truth. And you've heard me say this before. You can't give away what you don't have. You can't give away an experience to someone. You can't convince someone else that you believe something if you don't. You can't, you can't convince someone else. Don't, don't you just love having somebody try to sell you something that they're not even sure of? I want to sell you this car. Well, does it run? I, sometimes. Well, how are the tires? Ah, you know, I, I, I never really I don't care. I just want you to buy the car. Well, what about, what, Noel, I don't know. I think most of us in the room would be pretty quick to say, Sorry. If you don't even believe in this car and you've owned it and you say it's yours and you say you want to sell it to me, no taker. But you find somebody that says, I want to sell you this car. It's been the greatest car in all the world to me. Things never failed me, never let me down. It's always been there. It's always started. It's always run good. I've cared for this thing. I've nurtured it. it I have so many great memories tied to this. I love this car. And I just want somebody else to enjoy this car as much as I've enjoyed this car. And I want to sell it to you at a price that you can afford. I'm going to give it to you. It's free. Are you kidding? Sign me up. But how convincing are you? People need to know. People need to know. God wants to give each of us a personal Pentecost Maybe for the first time, maybe for the 500th time. But he wants to pour out his spirit upon you this morning. Would you stand with me?